You're listening to Welcome back to Books and Bobo, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian American authors. My name is Mara Renier. And I'm Rira Yu. And we are here in the middle of July, or towards the end of July. Towards the end. Towards yeah. the end. Uh, we're here for one of our mid-month check-in episodes. We're going to go over the latest book deals, book news, and uh, maybe even some um, book club member feedback. But before we get to that, a quick reminder that the book club pick for the month of July is still... A Tale for the Time Being by Ruth Ozeki. We'll be talking about that, I guess, next week. Yeah, I think I think so. It depends on scheduling, but <laughs> uh, hopefully it'll be out before uh, the first week of August. Yeah. Crossing our fingers. Yeah. Um, I'm here drinking a, not a boba, but a cold brew because I need to wake up. Yeah. Um, um, Marvin, but- Marvin's back from San Diego Comic-Con. Yes. And I'm still tired. Still very tired. Yeah. I remember like going like like a couple of years ago and I was like, I'm never, I never want to do this again. It's a lot. <laughs> it's so tiring. I wonder, is it similar to like a book con? I don't think so. Cause <laughs> I feel like with, with comic con, there's like way more people. And it's also good. it's just like so many different mediums. So you're kind of all over the place. Whereas like book con, you were there for books. That's like, true. There was a lot of people. I did manage to avoid the floor for as long as possible. Um, I spent a lot of my time upstairs with the panels and mostly in the press room. Mm-hmm. Um, editing and uh producing podcast content um i did get a very good interview with uh three of our favorite authors um cb lee sarah coon and rf kwong and we'll be releasing that i was going to release that at the end of this episode but it seems <laughs> that's like it's not gonna happening. Be a long one so i might release it later this week as bonus content for for you all it was a great conversation about what it's like to be an author in comic-con um and the asian american literature community in general yeah. I was listening to it on my way here. Um, I haven't finished it, but it sounded pretty fun. And yeah. I, I felt like I was missing out. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. It was always great to catch up with um, Sarah and Carrie. And uh, Rebecca, was, it was great to meet her, the author of like my favorite book of the summer so far. So yeah. um, there were some um, breaking news from Comic-Con. I guess yes. we can jump forward. Since we're talking about Comic-Con, we should just get it out of the way right now. But uh, Sarah Kuhn just got tapped to write a Batgirl graphic novel for the new DC YA imprint. Mm-hmm. It's the it's the same imprint that did uh, Marie Lou's uh, Batman. Okay, I think because that like because that was also young adult and yeah. Batman is DC, so I'm guessing it's the same imprint. But what's especially cool about this version is it's the Cassandra Kane Batgirl. Which is the Asian Batgirl. Yes, so I've heard. <laughs> and like when I saw the news on, on my Twitter feed, I like screamed. I was like, ah! <laughs> like, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Awesome. I know Sarah's going to do a good job because like her books are literally about yeah. uh, Asian American female uh, superheroes. So. so excited about that. And then um, Carrie CB Lee, she it just got tapped to write the new Ben 10 graphic novel. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, yeah. It's fun. Good things for some of our favorite authors. But yeah, I just wanted to get that out. Uh, we'll be talking more about Comic-Con news later on with, in the news section because there were some awards given out to another one of our favorite yeah, yeah. Asian American authors. Our favorite, Books and Bulba. Again, like Books and Bulba, we pick winners, apparently. <laughs> so, you know, 
<laughs> we can we can see into the future. <laughs> it's like be, like before the book wins an award, we're like, oh, this would be cool to read, and then they end up getting awards. Yeah, which means we have good taste overall. I think. <laughs> I think. Well, let's take a look into some future award winners. Um, uh, we're going to go over some of the most recent book deals to get you all excited about what's to come in Asian American. Uh, in the Asian American lit world, yes, um, so. uh, we have a lot of news uh, about like books that are coming out in 2020. Because 2020, Holy this crap. is the publishing industry, Marvin. <laughs> it takes like two, three years That's to get a true. book out. That's what I hear. Uh, so our first book deal uh, is Anthenium has acquired world rights to Simon at the Art Museum by Christina Suntornbat, and it's illustrated by Christine Devenier. And the picture, the picture book is about a young boy's outing to an art museum with his parents and the unique appreciation he develops for the museum's art, people, and cheesecake. I don't know where that last part goes. Asian people love cheesecake. I don't know if you know this. Okay, well... Uh, we, pub- have a, we have a soft spot for cheesecakes and cheesecake-adjacent products like cheese tarts. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to that. Uh, publication is slated for summer 2020. <laughs> have you ever had Uncle Tetsu's cheesecake? I have. It's so good. It's pretty good. Um, but my favorite cheesecake-like uh, dessert is now the cheese tart that you can get in Japan at like Pablo or oh, Big yeah. Cheese Tart. But they just opened a U.S. Um, kiosk in San Francisco, um, Big Cheese Tart. So you know, need to so find far a re- away. Need to find a reason to go get up there. And if you freeze the cheese tart, it becomes like cheesecake. So it's perfect. Anyways, um, Kanaf has acquired Anurada D. Rajurkar's debut novel, American Batia. Uh, which won the 2017 Emerging Voices Award from the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. Uh, the book follows a teen artist grappling with forbidden love, family boundaries, and her boyfriend's exoticization of her Indian heritage. Uh, publication is slated for spring 2020. Oh, a boyfriend with brown fever. Oh. oh. <laughs> it's forbidden love. Family. It's like, yeah, these, these, these are the themes. This, this sounds fun, though. Yeah. Uh, Henry Holt is launching and editing a middle-grade nonfiction series called First, which celebrates women and men who were pioneers in their fields. Uh, First, Full Steam Ahead will be written by Julie Lung and illustrated by Caitlin Cullwald. The book will focus on individuals who revolutionize science, technology, engineering, the arts, and mathematics. Publication is scheduled for fall 2019. Oh, I get it. STEAM, like science, technology, engineering, the arts, mathematics. Oh, it's an acronym. Smart. Is this going to focus on like... People of color, or is it just in general? I, it's a it's a nonfiction series, so okay. I'm guessing that it's going to cover like a lot of different fields and a lot of like diversity as well. That's I know I know there's like a second book that's been uh, signed on as well. So awesome! Penguin's new imprint, Coca-Cola, has acquired Jessica Kim's debut middle grade novel, Stand Up, You Meet Chunk. The book follows Yumi, an 11-year-old Korean-American girl who dreams of being a comedian, but is too timid to stand up to her academic-minded parents. When she is mistaken for someone else, Yumi is given the chance to attend a comedy camp taught by her idol. Publication is set for spring 2020. Again, like, 2020 is going to be a good year. I know uh, Jessica Jessica Kim. Uh, I follow her on Twitter. She recently listened to They Call Us Bruce, and mm-hmm. she was listening to the Will Choi episode. So <laughs> I'm guessing that she is a fan of, like, Asian... 
Asian AF and yeah. like uh, the Comedy Comedy Festival. There's, <laughs> there's been a lot of like uh, emerging Asian American comedians and yeah. People should definitely check out Asian AF if they're in L.A. or New York. Uh, they're always sold out. I mean, it's like cool that she's writing a middle grade novel saying like, you can be a comedian too yeah. if you're Asian. Um, next up, Random House's Schwartz and Wade has acquired a new picture book by Guo Jing, author of the New York Times Best Illustrated Children's book, The Only Child. Her upcoming book, Stormy, a story about finding a forever home, is about a stray dog, a lonely woman, and the storm that brings them together. Aww. <laughs> Publication is scheduled for fall 2019. Sounds cute. Um, Balzer and Bray has acquired Malik Pancholi's debut middle grade novel, The Best at It. Set in a small town in Indiana, the book follows a gay Indian American boy struggling with shifting dynamics of friendship and bullying in middle school who one day decides that everything in his life will get better if he can just find out that one special thing he's the best at. Publication is slated for fall 2019. So Malik Pancholi uh, is also an actor. He played Jonathan on 30 Rock, and he voiced Baljeet. I think that's how you pronounce uh, his character's name. Baljeet on Phineas and Ferb. And he also served on Obama's advisory commission on Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. Is that Weapi? Uh, I think so. Hmm. Not, the the yeah, like it shut down after. No, you, apparently Weapi is still active. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, that's somewhat surprising and awkward. <laughs> but yeah, and very awkward. I learned this recently. Like there's still there's still an active Weapi within the the White House. Okay. So, yeah. Um, sorry, it's my turn. <laughs> uh, Holiday House has brought. Holiday House has bought world rights to two picture books by Andrea Wong. Andrea Wang? It's always hard with the last name. It's Wong. Wong. With that Wong. spelling, it's probably Wong. Andrea Wong, yeah, author unless of... Unless they're Cantonese. It's, it's, a, it's a whole thing. Yeah, Don't it's a whole thing. It. Andrea Wong, <laughs> the author of The Neon Monster, based on a memory from the author's childhood with Chinese immigrant parents, Watercrest is scheduled for spring 2020 with Jason Chin on board as illustrator. Uh, Wong's second book, Lulai and the Language of Tea, will show readers how tea is a universal drink that can... That can unite immigrant children from around the world. Ooh, ooh, that is true. People like, need to be like people aren't as educated on tea, and that's it's like it's a whole, it's a whole thing. It's a whole subculture. Yeah. Do English people like have their own tea? Because I feel like all the tea that they drink are from I mean, other countries. English people started a war with China just uh, to get tea. Just to get tea. Yeah. Um, they traded opium for tea. Apparently. Oof. Yeah. Oof, history. <laughs> and that's it for uh, uh, book deals. We're going to move on to news because there's a lot that happened. Yeah, book news. Um, going back to Comic-Con, Marjorie Lubin-Sana Takeda's Monstrous, which was our... Was there a second? Our second Books and Boba book club pick? No, our second was Everything I Never Told You. I think it was more of our fourth or fifth. Right. One of the earlier ones. Yes. Um, it was within our first year. Won five Eisner Awards, which is the, um, I guess, the industry awards uh, given out at Comic-Con mm -hmm. um, for Best Continuing Series, Best Publication for Teens, Best Painter and Multimedia Artist, Best Cover Artist, and Best Writer, which is like the, the, the big prize. There was like, a like the Best Actor Prize, yes. pretty much. Or best director, or best film type of prize. Um, Marjorie Liu was the first woman to ever win the best writer for the Eisner, which is but, so crazy to me. But, I like, but there's an asterisk there because they couldn't just give it to her. 
they had to make her share it with Tom King, who you know is also a very prolific comic book writer. But at the same time, yeah, at why the not same make, time, why not make history? Why not just you know? I don't I don't know how they vote on it or how they select their winners, yeah. but like when I heard that Marjorie Liu was the first woman to win Best uh, Writer for an Eisner, I was like, that can't be right. It's 2018. What do yeah. you mean that she is the first woman writer to? There win are this some award? pretty gnarly like headlines for this too. Like, <sighs> um, I feel so the article that we shared on Books and Bulba, I didn't realize it until I went back and read the headline from the time from Time dot com says a woman wins top comic writer award for the first time and that just seems like just bad headline writing yeah yeah like can you believe it a woman i mean it could be read in a different way being like oh my god yeah like this is amazing. I'm sure that's how they meant it. Yeah, I, I, I'm I, sure. I, I went back and looked like, that looks a little odd. Right, writing headlines can be tricky. I mean, I'm talking from experience. <laughs> it's very hard to come up with a headline that will catch people's yeah. eyes and not uh, come across as But congrats to Mark. Like, she was originally not coming to Comic-Con this year. And then all yeah. of a sudden she made the decision to come. And then now, now you know why. Because she, she got nominated and she won the big award. Um, so we're going to move on to more con news, but not San Diego Comic-Con. Um, so the 76 World Con recently received backlash for sidelining and disrespecting marginalized authors. And many of them were Hugo nominees, which is like baffling because why yeah. would you why would you disrespect the people that you're giving awards to? Um, yeah, I was stuck in... Um comic-con world so i have no idea what's going on here can you okay so like Worldcon is uh like they're formally known as the world science fiction convention and it's where they vote and select the winners of the hugo awards and uh recently they like (laughs) they've been doing a really bad job like they misgendered a hugo finalist and uh they like they reportedly apologized, uh, but they also expressed that they shouldn't have gone public with the criticism, which is like another another thing. Uh, J.Y. Yang, author of the Tensorat series, they shared an email where a World Con organizer argued that there were there was no own voices panel because maybe twenty percent of World Con uh, members knew what it meant. And I'm like, this is a book convention. Yeah. Like, it's very hard to like not know what own voices is. But at the same time, even if they don't know, it's a great way for people to yeah. learn about it. That's like saying we shouldn't make a movie with Asian actors because white people won't watch it. Yeah, and like the thing is, like Worldcon, like it's not like Comic Con. It is very much like an industry convention so there's a lot of business deals being made there's a lot of networking all about like oh sad puppies looking forward to like okay so there's this group called sad puppies i'm I'm not even joking that's oh no i thought that was an exclamation that you made no like sad puppies is an actual group and they are like super conservative and conservative (laughs) such as such as like they're like very anti uh like anti LGBTQ, anti women, um, very like very much like oh, sa- science fiction and fantasy has become too progressive, too liberal. There are a lot of these people at Comic Con too. These are being interviewed, and I heard a lot about people talking about. There's this like idea now that like there's forced diversity onto narratives, which is like because diversity has become a selling point. 
like it has been officially capitalized. Um, people think that um, companies are putting in diversity just because they want to make more money, or just because they feel like they have to. Yeah, I'm. I'm sure there is like. Like there are some publishers who think that way, and they really should change their mindset. <laughs> But overall, like promoting marginalized writers, it's more of leveling the playing field that has yeah. been just like so. Like science fiction has been so dominated by straight white male authors for a very very long time, and um, and it's like really sad that this convention that is pretty much like the Oscars of science fiction. Yeah. Uh, so some authors reported having their panels accepted, but um, they were given to other panelists. And some other authors said their panels were rejected because it was like too out there, like too too yeah. progressive. And that's like, I'm just like, what? Like a marginalized author pitches like a panel, and you take their panel and give it to white authors. I feel like, I mean, this is just me. Um Theorizing and like extrapolating, but they probably hired some sort of brand consultant or some sort of like marketing guy who pretty much went through the the um, the the list of list attendees and yeah. decided like this is how you make it more mainstream and more more palatable, Ugh. right? Or because so, it sounds like it's been workshop, it sounds like it's been focus group, it sounds like it's been like like marketing guide, you yeah. Know? Well, well, like the good thing is one good thing is about this whole like train wreck. Uh, so, Worldcon's chair Kevin Roosh, uh, he announced that they will be completely like tearing down their programming and starting from scratch. So, hopefully, uh, there will be more diverse panels. There yeah. will be more of a level playing field. But a lot of authors have withdrawn from attending Worldcon because of this. Was Worldcon like this last year? I mean, Worldcon seemed like it seems like a lot of people were caught off guard with how they treated stuff this year. <sighs> That's how it sounds. I don't know if they were caught off guard because I feel like something like this happens every every mm -hmm. year, but like it was just like a lot. More people were. It was upset it was a year. lot, and yeah, yeah it was. Like, what they did was just, like, what happened? Like, what yeah. happened? Like, who advised you to, to like, to communicate to authors like that? It's Maybe they just succumbed to the pressure of the sad puppies. And it's, like, going back to the whole thing, I don't think it's even the companies that are trying to capitalize on diversity. It's people think they are. People think that this diversity thing is just, like... They think it's not necessary, and they think it's ruining their comics yeah. or their stories. Or, at, or at, in a milder right. form, it's like, oh, it's a trend. It's yeah. a trend that's going to eventually go away. It's a trend, and I don't like how it's affecting my books, right? Because, yeah. you know, I don't need, like... Like, I don't need people to criticize my fantasy novels for not having diversity or, or not having marginalized and characters. And the fact that people think that diverse being... Diversity is being like shoved down their throats. It's like normal people would say, "Oh, something different. Let's check it out." Right? I don't know. Um, so we're going to move on to more train wreck. Uh, so Forbes published an an opinion article written by uh, Panos Mordokutas. I don't know if I mispronounced Mordokutas. 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 Is like a. It's, I think it's Greek, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But uh, the headline was Amazon should replace local libraries to save taxpayers money. I heard about this. Yes. It's been going around. Yeah. Yikes! Yikes! And and 
Of course, it quickly got backlash from American librarians and the communities that use libraries, and the article was promptly deleted. But we're still going to talk about it because I feel like it merits a discussion. I mean, full disclosure: I haven't been to a library in years. You, so you I should am go. Terrible! I'm the worst. Um, yeah. So his claim was that library, like, quote, libraries don't have the same value they used to, and he claimed that um, Amazon Books, streaming services, and Wi-Fi provided by Starbucks have made libraries less vital. And I'm gonna like. I'm going to argue against that because not everyone has the same access to digital resources. Yeah, not believe everyone, it. Not everyone can have even internet. Yeah, not like not a lot of people. Not, well, not a lot of people, but like there are communities out there that are low income and they can't afford having more than one computer. They yeah. don't have good Wi-Fi and and like li- and you still have to pay for all that stuff. Libraries are essentially free for the. The user. Yeah. Well, there's taxes, and that's that's like his argument. Being oh. like, oh, cutting libraries will save taxpayers money, which I will go back to and uh, and and refute. But libraries serve uh, the entire public, and you know it's very important for non English speaking uh, immigrants and also like low income families and also. Uh, like children who are learning how to read and uh, older and older people who, you know, they don't have any family. So they find a community like a book club at a library. And you can't get that from Amazon. You can't get that from from Netflix, which which is another thing. Not everybody has like streaming. So some people do have to go rent DVDs, Blu-rays. And yeah. it's like it's coming from such an entitled space yeah this is that like, it's like it's this guy's coming in at it from like a very privileged like part. like yeah if everyone had access to the same resources or at least the same base resources then maybe you have a point there but the fact is like they don't yeah and i have like i i go to the library pretty often and i'm always seeing people who are like you know who are students who are like studying for their exams i see people who are applying to jobs they're filling they're filling out their resumes and a lot of librarians they actually help them use computers which is you know which is great because you know in this day and age like if you don't know how to use a computer you're falling behind yeah. and libraries kind of bridge that gap and pretty much saying like oh like you can you can just go to Starbucks and use their Wi-Fi and get access to everything. That's, I mean, you don't have to pay for a cup of coffee to go to a library and yeah. use their services. And it's okay. And like moving on to the second point, uh, he claimed, quote, technology has turned physical books into collector's items. Some people have started using their loyalty card at Starbucks more than they use their library card. This man drinks a lot of Starbucks, apparently, because there are other coffee shops. But aside from that... Um, I don't have some taste, man. <laughs> um, he is completely wrong about how physical books are ancient relics now because uh, print sales have actually gone up by more than 10% since 2013. Print um, books aren't going anywhere. I mean, I prefer having a physical book over reading on my Kindle. I mean, like, it, it's really a preference, but yeah, like, the publishing industry, they aren't, like, there isn't, like, a severe uh, decline of print books, which is, which is good. 
Uh, one of his one of his other claims was cutting down public libraries save taxpayers money, uh-huh. and that is also not true. Shock, shock. Um, according to the American Library Association, there is a four to five dollar return on inv- investment per tax dollar spent at libraries. And uh, according to a researcher at Tax Policy Center, if all funding public if all funding for public libraries across the country were cut. And divided among Americans, each person would get about thirty six dollars back, which is not, <laughs> which yeah. is not a lot. Like libraries, they like even well funded ones, they squeeze every penny. Like they have to be very strict with their budget. They make programs out of nothing. <laughs> I mean, this comes down to just a like yes, on paper, if all else being held equal. Cutting, like, not running libraries will save money because you're not running a program. But at the same time, you think about, like, all the books that people don't have to buy by going to a library, all the all the internet they don't have to pay for by going to a library because they can't afford it. And it's like p- the users are saving money by having a public space that provides these services. Yeah, and also, like, libraries, like, um, because it's government-funded, like, they keep track of circulations yeah. of books that get borrowed out. And th- that money goes to authors and um that's that's another point that we're going to bring up later with our next piece of news but i mean just think about it as you're paying 36 dollars for a annual subscription to your local library and if you don't get your library card and participant library it's just a you know a lazy tax yeah it's a lazy tax for you which isn't even that much and also like by saying oh we should cut libraries is saying i don't want poor people to yeah. read. I don't want working class people to be able to Which find may jobs. be the point because this guy drinks a lot of Starbucks and obviously lives in the yeah. gentrified area. So, you yeah. know. It's, it's just like, it's <laughs> so, like, I was so mad when I saw the headline for this because, like, growing up, like, when I, when I immigrated here when I was three, my family wasn't uh, well off. We weren't middle class. And um, there also was no internet. There was also no <laughs> internet. And like my, and I didn't have a lot of toys because toys cost money. Mm. And my parents would take me to the library. And that is how I learned English. That is how I learned how to read. And that is how I became the person that I am today. I'm mm. doing a book club podcast of all things. I went to the library to research stuff that you Google <laughs> because Google didn't exist yet. Oh so. my god! I remember like when like you had to go through the card catalog to like yeah, not find even that. Books. Like, where are your encyclopedias? I need to look shit up. Yeah, <laughs> I need to look up. Yeah, so like, I feel like going to a like even if you're not going to borrow books at the library, like they have so many events. They have author events. They have uh, they have like summer reading programs. They have like. Like, I remember one time there was, like, movie night, and I went. And And some kick-ass architecture. And also, like, now that I think about it, I can still smell the smell of old books. It's nice. I like it. Um, (laughs) But a lot of libraries aren't well-funded, depending on what neighborhood you live in. And um, that's going to – we're going to move on to our next piece of news – uh, which is about piracy. Um, Adam Silvera, author of What If It's Us, he tweeted out a tweet that condemned piracy. And, um, so and, piracy in terms of stealing books. Yeah, piracy right. as in like you are electronically stealing books. You are finding 
illegally up, uh, uploaded PDFs and you're reading it and no money goes to the publisher or the author. Right. And that sparked a lot of debate on book Twitter. And I understand that this is a very nuanced uh, topic, but overall, bottom line, piracy is bad. Piracy is a crime and you shouldn't do it. <laughs> but I understand that there is um, a couple of layers to this conversation. So um, the number one argument that people made about piracy who were for it they said i can't afford i can't afford to buy every book that i read or i want to read and you know what like i understand like i understand that because i can't buy every book that i want to read and you know i'm running this podcast and and we, we just talked about a solution it's called the library yes yes and i understand that depending on where you live like libraries might not be well-funded. You might mm. not get the books that uh, come out that year. And there's a lot of struggle to to get the books that you want because there are, like, wait lists and whatnot. But that doesn't mean that you should steal. Like, mm. you you should wait for it. You should wait for the book to go either go on sale or wait until it's your turn at the library or find a friend to buy it and borrow it from them. Like it, just because you can't afford, like afford a book, you shouldn't steal it. That that doesn't, like it's just not a good justification for stealing. Like I think there there is a difference between like, like another thing is like a lot of um, a lot of people who pirate books. They say, well, if I read the book. I can just write a review and that is like promoting the author that's advocating for their book. So I can just steal it and just end up writing a review, which is like, it's good to give reviews to authors, but at the same time, publishers care more about sales at the end of the day. I mean, if you're a reviewer, there are ways to get the book ahead of time. Yes, that is, that is true. That's another point. You can get advanced copies through NetGalley. You can get advanced copies by reaching out to the yeah. publisher. And the thing is, advanced readers' copies, they are not cheap. They are not cheap to make. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of time, publishers have, uh, have a list and... They are sending out arcs in good faith. They are sending out arcs to uh, their target audiences, so they may they so they might spread the word. They are sending it to publications that will review it. They are sending out sending it out to other authors who will write uh, a blurb for it. So it it's not it's free for a purpose. You yeah. asking for a review copy just so you want to read it is not a good enough justification, in my opinion, to pirate a book. And uh, another thing is, another uh, reason why people pirate, or so they say, uh, is because they are going against the man. The they, Like, they hate capitalism. And they're like, oh, I want to support the author, but I don't want to support their publishing house. And uh, the thing is, it takes a lot of people to make books happen like sure author the author is in charge of writing writing the story but that story was edited by people that story was proofreaded proofread and corrected and fact-checked and then the cover that you like that was designed by an illustrator um and like you're reading a physical copy someone binded that book yeah, sensitivity readers aren't free. They yeah, it, it's not do. free. And you saying like, oh, I'm not going to 
uh, I'm not going to buy this book because it's going against capitalism. It's going against like incorporation. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, there is like, mm, sorry, I'm going on a rant, but it is a topic that is like very like sensitive to me. Um, there is a difference between like promoting the need to have more affordable access to things and there and there's a difference in demanding to have access to any book at any time you want like you need to understand the difference like if you want to go against capitalism and um want to make sure that people have enough money enough access to get the books that they want like mm -hmm. stealing a book does not contribute to that fight at all yeah, I mean, fighting capitalism by taking on the publishing industry is kind of like missing the what's the saying? Missing the the forest for the trees. Yeah, because capitalism is more; it's bigger than just the publishing industry. It is like everything you buy, like the fact that you rent a home, the mm -hmm. fact that you pay for Netflix, the fact that you pay for internet, um, is all part of capitalism. And like another another thing is like you know people from other countries they say like well this book is not available in my country and mm. the only way i can read it is through piracy and it's like okay like the right thing to do is to wait for the book to come to your country because there are the reason why your book why that book isn't in your country is probably due to like rights regulation yeah it's like, because of your country really yeah it's really because of your country and of course like you know, book shipping costs, like it, it can be astronomical. And depending on where you live, uh, books can be like double the price as um, from like the cost here. Yeah. But at the same time, like, like, just because you want it doesn't mean you should steal it. Like the right thing to do would be to, <laughs> like, I keep saying like the right thing to do. And I understand it's like really hard to do. But like, like, Authors aren't rich. Like authors don't get paid a lot. And even if they get like like a really big book deal, let's say they get like what, like 60k. Like they're not getting 60k like right no. right when they get the book deal. They get maybe a quarter of it when they sign and yeah. then like and then like a couple of months later after the first draft is done, they get another cut of it. And then the problem is like a lot of book deals you get in advance. So that's like how much money the publishing house thinks that well uh thinks the book will make. So you will not get royalties until you meet that advance. Right. So there there's that. And also any money that you make as an author, there will be a percentage that is given to your agent and like that's why you shouldn't uh that's why that's why if like literary literary agents are like hey pay me money to like yeah. to like represent you that like don't do that like they get they get a percentage anyway it's a scam um authors don't make enough for uh for it to be like a full-time job usually like a lot of authors that um we have read for book club they have a second job or they have a different career mm -hmm. and um for them to actually be a full-time writer, they need to have multiple books, multiple series. But if people pirate their books and it doesn't show up in it, it doesn't show up in sales, right? So it doesn't go towards their advance. It doesn't go towards uh, it doesn't go to them. So therefore, 
when they have they have a negotiation meeting for like their sequel or a different book they're not going to get a higher advance it might they might not not even get a book deal like for their sequel they might have to find a different home and if their book is getting pirated enough that it's affecting their livelihoods to a point where they have to find a second or third job they won't have time to write their books and therefore you won't get the next book that you desperately want to read from that author. So for me, like it's a very complicated subject and uh, there's a lot of like nuance to it, but there's, and there's like no neat solution to it, obviously Um, except maybe, maybe let's pay our artists, our creatives, (laughs) a a living wage. Let's um, try not to, uh, justify stealing creative work because honestly like any other industry any other field if you steal shit like it's kind of a big deal you can go to fucking jail and and it's just like people justify like oh if you if you steal a movie it's not it's not hurting anybody it's like like the studio makes enough money and it's just like yeah but what about the people who made that movie that's uh, they they are different from uh, the studio, and it's not like you can like fucking steal a Nike like Nike sneakers from a store and like be like, I wanted it, so uh, it's mine now. Like like people would say you're crazy. So why is it okay to do that to books? Why is that okay to do that to movies or anything creative? It's it's sad that people kind of cheapen creative product that can take over like multiple years so it's i don't know like i like don't don't pirate <laughs> like, like that's that's like my final uh final point just like this has been your public pirate. service announcement from you sorry i like it is something that is like <laughs> i mean i try the to simple reason is people do it because they don't see it's easy to diminish the value of an artistic work because you're just seeing the output, right? You're not yes. seeing the hours that you, people put in. You're not seeing all the cumulative hours. It's, it's like a, a plate of food, right? Like, yeah. It's in front of you. Like, you have your steak, your vegetables, your whatever. But that's the that's the end product of, like, a week's worth of work from the farm to transportation to the butchering to the cooking to your plate. Yeah. Right? And... I mean, pirating is. I think it's easy to justify because it's so easy, yeah. Right, um, and I mean, this is coming from like I've been working the last like six years supporting independent artists. So like, whenever I get a chance to, you know, like when I when I want to use someone's song, like I could very well ask them for the file, but I I just, I just go on Amazon and pay the ninety nine cents for the for the song just to mm-hmm. throw a little bit their way. Like I'm an adult. I have money. Which which is why like earlier the whole like oh there's no point in libraries. It's, it's <laughs> it, like it's just like no, like if you want a book and you can't afford it, go to a library. If it's and also like libraries are very uh very much digital now. You can borrow borrow ebooks through yeah. Libby and Overdrive. We are not sponsored by Libby and Overdrive. I just use that their services a lot. There's like I mean it's everyone pirates at some point, I feel like. It's it's just easy. You might not know what's wrong. But you have to pay it back somehow. And like saying that, oh, I read a review that that's paying it back is like, it's not enough. 
um, buy like if if you've pirated something from an author, go to their store and buy some merch or buy a like you know. Even no, something. I have I have an issue with that too because in the end, that is not going towards their book sales, and that does not contribute to whether or not that author is going to get another book deal or. Um, or another advance or royalties even. Mm-hmm. So like I, I do have like a complicated relationship with that. Same thing with like with people say people saying like, oh, I'm gonna donate to the author's Ko-Fi because I can't afford their twenty dollar book, but I can afford to give three dollars to them. And I'm like Well I wouldn't say give three I mean if you're gonna take twenty dollars of value, you should give back twenty dollars. Yeah. You know? it's, it's like I it's very, very complicated people have a lot of different feelings on it and i feel like a lot of the conversation about piracy has been very western focused and i i really honestly don't know uh how other people feel who are from overseas and who you know i mean overseas everything is bootleg so you can't because it it comes down to laws to your country's laws like if your country can't protect like if you're if American copyright and intellectual property laws don't apply, it's it's free reign. Like everything you buy in like another country could very well be a fake or like a, mm-hmm. a, a an illegal copy. I mean, um, I mean that's that doesn't make it right, but it just it's when it's hard to police, it becomes hard to enforce. Yeah. Right. Well. Don't pirate if you can. <laughs> Try not to pirate. Also, another thing is like people saying, like piracy is the fault of poor people. Like people pirate because they can't afford it, which I think is bullshit. Because I've met a lot of people who, you know, kind of, you know, they have money to buy books. They just are like, oh, I'm going to use this money for something else, and and like. I mean, when it comes down to it, you're justifying stealing no matter what you're saying to justify it. Like, yes. You're justifying stealing. And that's just the bottom line. And like, I- I'm going to close on this. Like the final argument that a lot of people use is like, oh, I pirate because the ebook is too expensive. And that is fucking bullshit. Because how many times have on this podcast have I said, oh, I bought this book because it costs less than coffee. <laughs> like there are so many books that go on sale for like a month at a time. And and like you pay like two dollars for it, so I I don't think that is a good excuse either. I mean, because they're all excuses in the yeah, end. Yeah, in the end, it's I guess yeah. that's the official stance of books and boba is don't steal, man. Don't steal, man. Um, so I'm so like the last piece of news that I do want to um, it's not really news, but I want to give a shout out. Uh, I want to give a shout out to the Lev. Uh, the Lev is a pop up bookstore that promotes books by women and people of color. And, uh, like, they've held author events. Uh, There was, like, a brick-and-mortar store in Venice, but now they are crowdfunding to have, like, more pop-up stores in uh, different locations. So the crowdfunding campaign is on iFundWomen, and you can learn more about it on thelev.co slash crowdfund. And, yeah, like have more like it's good to have more resources where you can find books by marginalized authors and it's it's good to have more options than the library and amazon (laughs) what wait 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 i do want to bring sorry i keep saying like oh it's my final point it's my final point but if you got say if we got rid of libraries and amazon just took over and it was for free it's by a private company right Mm -hmm. so they that means that they control like pretty much what gets 
put on Amazon. That means that they can get rid of any books that they don't like, and that means that they can like police whatever uh, books they find inappropriate or yeah or like not good. And we've learned in this country that uh, <laughs> putting a lot of faith in Jeff Bezos is just what we're saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Also, like Amazon had like a I, I think it's still ongoing. Like they have a Kindle Unlimited program, and for a while I was on that program. And there were never really like books that I wanted to read from <laughs> that selection, so they didn't really have a lot of. It's all like old dead white people, right? It's a lot of like really poorly written uh, self published books, and there are there are definitely books about, that were um, that are hey, self published that are good. The Twilight series started as a poorly written self published <laughs> book, or not Twilight. Um, Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah, Fifty Shades of Grey started as a poorly written self-published book. Yeah, but then it got picked up by a publisher, and uh, she made a lot of money. So, but that doesn't change the fact that it was poorly written. I just want to throw shade at Fifty Shades. I'm, I'm throwing thought. shade. I, I know there's people who like it, but oh god, <laughs> no! There's there's so many better books in the erotica genre. Yeah. Um, yeah. With that said, <laughs> um, let's go through some feedback from our members. And um, we've had some activity on the Books and Boba forums recently. Um, thanks to everyone who's been participating. Um, again, we have a Goodreads group. Uh, if you want to join, just no, just join and um, participate in discussions. Um, Nicholas posted on our book banter category. Um, hey everyone, my name is Nick. I use he/him pronouns. Nice to meet you all. I and my significant others are new middle school teachers in San Francisco teaching a large community of Asian Pacific Islander students. As both Chinese and Pacific Islander, I would love to be able to promote more exposure to my students and fellow teachers to texts written by contemporary API authors. Any recommendations? Uh, Not Your Sidekick and Heron Complex have been amazing to discover through Books and Boba. American Born Chinese is a personal favorite. Any others? Uh, so this is just Asian American or Chinese or API. I mean, API. Yeah. Uh, so Front Desk by Kelly Yang. Yeah, that was. Yeah, I've list. been hearing so many amazing things about it. Uh, uh, the house that Lou built. I forgot the author's name, but she is on our um, twenty books. Twenty was it twenty books? I don't remember how many books were on my summer reading recommendations, <laughs> but that's on booksandboba dot com. Uh, another one at the top of my head, uh, Spirit Hunters by Eleanor. Mm. It's like great for October because it's kind of like relates to ghosts. Yeah. Uh, and if you are more, if you are a fan of Jumanji, <laughs> uh, there's The Gauntlet by Karuna Riazi. So there's a lot of great yeah. middle grade novels out there. And there's a lot coming out. If you remember, like half an hour ago when we talked about <laughs> um, the new uh, publishing news, uh, a couple of other books on my list uh, that I've been meaning to read as well is um, Peace Brought Chen. Oh um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, by Henry Lian and uh, the uh, Epic Crush of Jeannie Lo by uh, F. C. Yi. Um, those are two. I, <laughs> obviously, I, I go with the martial arts fantasy picks but uh if you want to in- inject some action into into your reading list um those those are some good recs as well um and yeah one more quick thing i wanted to issue a, a personal apology to book club member jazz uh, for misgendering them in our last uh, discussion episode on uh not your sidekick um they uh graciously pointed out in the goodreads forum and um thank you for that by the way yeah me being a, a, a total like uh the worst uh did not notice that they had mentioned that in the introduction thread when they first uh introduced themselves to the book club so sorry jess i will do better in the future 
Uh, but on that note, that'll do it for this episode of Books and Boba. Yeah, it was a doozy. It was a lot. <laughs> there was a lot of anger. There I learned a lot, lot of... about Rira's thoughts on libraries and piracy. Listen, y'all, this podcast would not be possible without libraries. Do you know how many books, <laughs> like for our book club, like most of them, I have borrowed them from the library because I like could not afford. It. Yeah, <laughs> could not afford it. So, if you have any thoughts about our our discussions, um, please sign off in our forums in our Goodreads group. Um, if you have any other. Uh, things you want to ask, things you want to pull the club about, uh, feel free to feel free to post about it, and we may, um, like today, discuss it on the podcast. Uh, a quick reminder that we do have a website now, www.booksandbilbo.com, and Rira has been hard at work putting together some pretty awesome listicles uh, yes. on it. So if you want to check out what we recommend for your summer reading list, uh, come to booksandbilbo.com. And on that note... I guess that'll do it. Uh, watch out for a bonus episode of Books and Boba later this week. I'll be uh, reposting my interview with C.B. Lee, R.F. Kwong, and Sarah Kuhn uh, from Comic-Con uh, to the Books and Boba feed. Um, let's say probably sometime this weekend. Okay, that sounds cool. Yeah. Um, and also we should have some author interviews lined up. So yeah. uh, look forward to those. And yeah, next week will be, uh, next week will be our book club discussion episode for a tale for the time being by ruth oseki uh hopefully if you have any thoughts on the book please post on to our forums and it'll, it'll help us out uh with our discussion as and well. we'll also give you shout outs and yeah. i know that there's some excitement on on this book because people <laughs> have been saying like i wanted to read this for a very long time but it's I've been, been like collecting dust on my bookshelf i've been getting uh people saying how much they love the book when they see me reading it out in public. So oh, cool. It's cool. been pretty good. Yeah. And also, we are recording at the Potluck Podcast Studios located within the Visual Communications Office in Little Tokyo, Los Angeles. Uh, VC is a nonprofit media org supporting Asian American, Pacific Islander uh, creatives and filmmakers, and they're the ones in charge of the LA Asian Pacific Film Festival, among other programs. You can learn more about them at vconline.org. Uh, on that note, thanks for listening to Books and Boba. We'll see you later. And keep reading. Bye.